This, uh, this sermon is called The Storm Part 2. Right? Uh, you know, the world is always looking for leaders. We're crying out for great and heroic leaders who can guide and direct us. And I think that's in all spheres of life. Whether you're talking about politics, whether you're talking about business, whether you're talking about the church, or even within your own families. Leadership is vital and it's needed. Now, although we understand that there's a need for leadership, I think many of us can also say that there is a crisis of leadership. People are unable or unwilling to lead. And when they do, many lead through their own ego or through their own greed. You see, this, this need for leadership is not just in the secular world. If you are a Christian, then you probably have some type of leadership responsibility, whether it's in your own home or maybe in the church. You probably have somebody who is in some way responsible to you. You have people who look to you for guidance. And it's important that you lead them well, even when things are going badly. And you see, that's the crux of the problem of leadership. Because anyone can lead well when times are good. Anyone can mostly lead well when things are rosy and, and everything seems to go smooth. Yet, the question is, are you able to lead well even in times of crisis? Are you able to lead well even when everyone else is panicking? This is the problem that we come to in this passage. You see, Paul, he has been caught in a storm. This storm is called a northeaster, it's a, it's a hurricane or a typhoon. And everyone around him is panicking. The experienced sailors who have been sailing their entire lives are panicking. The hardened soldiers who have always followed direction and who have never feared in any other circumstance are panicking now. The Bible says that they have gone for days in this situation, and it's come to the point where everyone around Paul has lost hope, except for Paul. It's interesting because when you look at Paul's role before and after the storm, they are drastically different. Before the storm, what we know is that Paul comes onto the ship as a prisoner. He is at the very lowest of the totem pole. He only is supposed to listen and obey. And yet, by the end of the storm, what we see here is that Paul is the leader. He is the one that everyone is listening to. He is the one that everyone looks to for advice. They look to him for guidance. And the reason his role changed into a leader was because Paul had an understanding of the storm that no one else had. And this understanding dictated how he behaved and how he acted. This understanding of the storm allowed him to be calm and at peace when everyone else 
panicked around him. For Paul, the first understanding was this paradox. And it was the paradox that God was fully in control, and yet at the same time, his choices absolutely mattered. And secondly, his second understanding was that as terrible and as dangerous as the storm was, it was on purpose. Okay? See, church, there's this really interesting paradox we're going to go through. And it happens in this chapter because what we see is that Paul, he says two seemingly contradictory things. In verse 22, Paul says, Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. What Paul's saying is, look, you don't have to worry. Take courage. Be encouraged. Because only this ship is going to break. None of you are going to lose your life. Because Paul was told by an angel of God that everyone would be safe, that he would be safely taken to Rome. He exuded complete confidence that God was in control of the storm. However, when you go down to verse 30, it says that the sailors were afraid of how powerful the storm was, and so they did something very dirty. They went and they tried to quietly and hiddenly try to bring down a lifeboat and escape on their own. However, Paul discovers this, and he sees what they're doing, and so he goes to the centurion and the soldiers, and in verse 31 he says, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. What Paul's saying here is that he knows that the soldiers who would be left could not handle the boat. It makes sense. They're soldiers. They don't know how to sail the boat. They don't know how to direct it. They don't know how to manage it. They needed the experience and the abilities of the sailors. So he makes sure to tell the centurion, unless we have these sailors on board, unless we have their experience, unless we have what they are able to offer, this ship is going to sink and we are all going to die. Paul understands that if the sailors leave and if they don't try to fight against the storm, the ship and they are doomed to sink. Do you see how strange this is? In the beginning, Paul tells everyone that God has promised to care for them and that not a single person would die. He has no doubt that God has planned the storm. And he was absolutely certain that God was in control of it. However, when he sees the soldiers who might end up leaving, or when he sees the sailors who might end up leaving, he goes to the soldiers and he says, unless they stay to guide the ship, we are all going to die. We need their expertise. Do you see what the problem is there? You see, the problem for us is that we think if God is in control and there's no way that anyone would die, then it doesn't matter what they do, right? 
Paul shouldn't care. The sailors could escape. The, the sailors could go on a swim. They could go snorkeling. They could go to sleep. It doesn't matter. If God had told Paul to something, if God had told Paul that he was in control, then their choices shouldn't matter in that situation. But Paul doesn't do that. He tells them to stay. And he tells them to do their best because his belief is twofold. And this is completely theological and this is completely biblical. And it's that number one, God is absolutely in control. And number two, that their choices matter and they have consequences. He believes in both of those 100%. This is difficult for us because in our minds, if God is totally in control, then what we do doesn't matter. Our choices don't matter. And yet on the flip side, if what we do matters and they have true consequences, then maybe God isn't fully in control. For us, we think very black or white. We think either or. And yet what Paul says and what the Bible is very clear about is that it is completely and absolutely both of those. You see, Paul believes on one hand that everything happens and is allowed and ordained by God. However, on the other hand, he also believes that our choices matter and that we are responsible for what happens in our lives. He holds them both together. There is this paradox there. There is this tension there. And I don't think it's meant to be resolved within our minds. It is meant to be held together 100% each. And I know that this is difficult because we are a zero-sum type of people. We think that everything needs to add up to 100. We say, look, okay, if God is 100% in charge, then that means 0% of what I do matters. Or we say 100% of the time uh, I'm free to make my own choices and, and those are my choices and they have real consequence. And so that means 0% of the time God is in charge. Or for a lot of us, I know we think maybe 50-50. Maybe 50% God, he kind of takes a step back and, and he allows us to make decisions in the small things and, and maybe 50% of the times when, when things are really big, when things are really important, that's when God gets involved. And that's when God orchestrates our different things. But Paul, he doesn't say that. The Bible never espouses those things. He says, God is in charge 100% of the time, and you are 100% responsible for what you do. It is both of those things, church. And I can say that with full confidence, because both of those are espoused not only in the book of Acts, but all throughout the Bible. We see countless examples of it. One of the most famous is in the book of Genesis. There's a man named Jacob, and he makes this mess of his life. He lies to his father. He betrays his brother. And because of his mistakes, he is forced to run away from home. But when he runs away from home, 
he meets the love of his life, Rachel. And he falls in love. He gets married. He has children. And from his descendants is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. See, church, what Jacob did was wrong. What Jacob did had consequences, and it haunted him for the majority of his life. And yet, it was 100% a part of God's plan to bring about the Messiah. Jacob's mistakes that led him there was not plan B. Jesus Christ was not plan B. It was always plan A from the very beginning. And this is something that we have to hold within us because this is the paradox of our lives. What Jacob did was wrong, and he messed up a large portion of his life, and yet God used it, and it was in God's plan. Jacob was in absolute control of his own decisions, and yet God was absolutely in control of Jacob's life completely. It is both of them. Paul truly believed that God was in control of the storm. He truly believed that no one would die. God had promised it. It's why he wasn't panicking. For Paul, you see, no matter how terrible the storm was, no matter how harsh it may have seemed, it was incomparable to the power of God. I think many of us replay and think over our regrets. We agonize over our past mistakes because maybe inside of our hearts, we believe that our choices are more powerful than God's control. We think that maybe our choices have a greater influence and can override what God's ultimate plan is for our lives. We agonize that we didn't get into that school. We agonize that we didn't marry that girl. We agonize that we didn't get that promotion. Many of us look back in agony because maybe we think that our choices are greater than God. But at the same time for Paul, he did believe that his choices had power, absolutely. But God's plan and God's purpose for him was more powerful than anything that he could encounter within this lifetime. And it's why he did his best. It's why he encouraged and challenged the sailors. It's why he made sure that they did everything possible that they could. But at the same time, within all of that, he had complete peace. He was calm because he trusted within the promises of God. And that's why also church, he had this calmness within. Don't mistake Paul's calmness for passivity, by the way. He goes to the centurion and he says, look, do this and do that. He makes sure to do the best with the tools and the gifting that God had given him. For a lot of us, we maybe lean too much on the other side. We say, no, no, I don't really agonize about the past. 
I don't really think about, my, about the choices I've made because I know that God is in control. So I'm just going to lay back and just kind of chill. I'm just going to let God just do everything. No, no, we never see that in the Bible. We see people, we see the men and women of God working their tail off. We see them doing their best for the glory of God because they understand something very clear, that they are stewards. They're not the owners of their time. They're not the owners of their gifts. They are simply stewards of what God has given them. And they know that they are responsible for everything that God has given them. He made, for Paul, he made sure to do the best with his tools and the gifting that God had given him because he knew that his choices mattered. And this is what Paul believed, and this is what set him apart as a leader. He believed that God was in charge. He believed that everything would happen according to God's will, and yet at the same time, he knew that his choices mattered. He knew that God had given him only allotted amount of time and resources and talents, and he needed to do the best that he could with them. It was two things at the same time, 100% each. This is the tension that Christian leaders must live with. I am going to live my life to the best of my ability. I will not squander my talents that God has entrusted me with, and I will lead others with wisdom and love. And yet, I am going to be completely at peace because no matter how badly my life gets, no matter how terrible the consequences of my choices are, I cannot mess up God's ultimate plan for my life. It's both of those, church. And this leads me to my second point. It's going to be brief. That Paul understood that even though the storm seemed terrible, it was completely on purpose. Now, what do I mean when I say that the storm was on purpose? See, one of the truths of the Bible, and we know this, is that God refines us through fire. That means that refinement would not have happened if not for the fire. You see, in verse 39, after the storm passes, what happens is that they look out from the ship and they see land. Scholars say that as terrible as the storm may have been, it had driven them faster to their destination than if it had been clear weather the entire way. How interesting is that? What it's trying to tell us here is that God uses the storms of our life to develop us into mature Christians. In fact, what you could say is that it's because of the storms of our lives that we are more, that we are matured faster in Christ. You know, when I was younger, uh, and I would go through something unfair or I would go through something painful or whatever, I would always complain to my dad. But after a while, I would stop complaining to him because he would always say just one thing. He would say, oh, that, that builds character. Every, every time, I would get so frustrated. I would be like, but like, this is, you know, I, I got hit by this person and, and you know, he, he, I didn't deserve it. He said, oh, that, that builds character. You know, I was like, oh, I didn't, this thing happened to me and I just don't understand why. Can you explain? It's like, uh, that just built, that builds character. <laughs> I would get so upset. Now, I don't know if he meant to do this, but when I think about it now, I realize 
that maybe he's trying to connect it to the Bible. That God uses the trials of this world in order to build godly and biblical character. That maybe in whatever situation that you're going through, no matter how unfair or painful it may be, what you can say in your mind is, how is God building my character through this? How is God building me to be a better Christian? How is God building me to have a better relationship with him? How is God building me to build the, the fruits of the Spirit? How is God building me in this? How is God building my character in this? We trust that. It's biblical because, yes, God, he refines through fire. I cannot, use to use, I cannot wait to use that line on my kids one day. You see, the Bible, it shows us this. It shows us examples of this. Look at the story of Joseph. He was sold into slavery by his brothers, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, thrown in prison, and he was forgotten. The entire time, we see that he prays to the Lord, that he stays faithful to him, and yet it seems like God doesn't care at all. But at the end, we see that it's through his slavery, it's through his imprisonment that he meets the people he needs to meet, and he ascends to become one of the most powerful men in Egypt, and he ends up saving hundreds of thousands of lives from starvation. And at the end of the story, you see Joseph, he looks at his brothers in Genesis 15, 20, 50, 20, and he says, what you meant for evil... God meant it for good. And Paul, he says almost the exact same line in Romans 8.28, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that all things are good. He's saying all things work together under God's jurisdiction so that even the most evil things in this world will be accomplishing God's ultimate good. That's what it means. In church, the greatest example of this is the life and the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think of how great Jesus was during his ministry. He was healing the sick. He was raising the dead. He was bringing sight to the blind. He was doing all of these other things, and yet it was only a few years later He's dying on the cross, abandoned and seemingly without hope. But we know that all of those evil things, all of those terrible things that happened to Jesus only accomplished the exact opposite of what it intended. It saved the world. It gave hope to the hopeless. It brought the dead to life. And it gave us a home in heaven forever. Church, whatever storm you have faced or will face in this life, have heart because you will lose nothing. You will lose nothing. Your body may fall apart. Your mind may deteriorate. But the true and lasting thing will be your soul, and no one will touch your soul. When you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, your soul is his forever. And God is more powerful than any storm within your life. 
God is more powerful than any person within your life. And there is nothing here that can ever separate you from the love of God. He is able to use all things, good or bad, for your good and for his glory. All things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Amen? Let's pray.